1 Timothy chapter 2, we have come to verse 8 here of this epistle, known as one of the pastoral epistles, as Paul is writing from Macedonia to Timothy, who is pastoring the church at Ephesus. Chapter 2 is dealing with the corporate meeting of believers. So as we pick up our text at verse 8 of 1 Timothy Chapter 2, we do read, Paul inspired by the Spirit of God, that I desired therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. In verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So, Father, as we read this portion of Scripture, we do know it is for us today. And sometimes this portion can be confusing or it can um, be something that is hard to receive, particularly for women that are here. But Lord, we know that you love women, you love uh, your children, and you have the very best for us. So as we read this and look at it very carefully, that I pray there will be clarity and understanding. And that we know that all scripture is profitable. And may it benefit us and bless us in every way. So Lord, help us to be teachable right now. Just yield it to you and what your word declares to us. Knowing that this is God-breathed. This comes from you. And so Lord, we commit this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And as I've said, that in chapter 2, Paul is instructing Timothy, this young pastor who's pastoring this church in Ephesus in Proconsular Asia. It was one of the major churches there in that area. And he is instructing Timothy on church order and the corporate gathering, particularly in chapter 2, of, of the believers. And I know that this morning that these verses that we just read it may be hard to receive for many of us, or particularly for you ladies. And we do know that these verses fly very much in the face of what culture and society is telling us as we see today that culture does influence the church more and more. So once again, keep in mind that this is God's word given to us. If you're visiting with us, that we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we just happen to be in this section of 1 Timothy as we started to study uh, a few weeks ago. But as we go through God's word, um, as we read it, um, as we study the Bible, you know, week after week, as we teach through the Bible with no apologies... And as we go through this epistle, I'm not going to duck and I'm not going to hide from these verses. But we're going to lay out what the Lord has declared to us in his word as we believe in the inerrancy, the inspiration, the authority of scripture. And we want to look at this very carefully. And I do pray that we receive it. And I really believe as we do uh, walk through this that we're going to be blessed by it. You know, sometimes people will hear these verses and, and they'll begin to, to think, are you kidding? me? Are you from the Stone Age? You know? Or 
I've heard many comments of this is just Paul's opinion. Or these are the words of Paul, so we don't need to, to really uh, take it seriously. Or I've even heard that there are those who said, well, Paul, he didn't have any appreciation for women in the church. And I strongly disagree with those things because this is God-breathed and all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction and righteousness. All means all from Genesis to Revelation. But Paul, I believe, had a great appreciation for women in the church. And we saw that very clearly in Romans chapter 16 when he's greeting the saints in Rome um, as uh, he greets some of the women there who labored, you know, in the Lord. Uh, he showed great appreciation and gratitude in their ministry and their role in the church. He would take the book of Romans, that letter, and he would entrust it to Phoebe, who was a servant of the Lord, to carry that letter from Corinth to Rome. So Paul had a great appreciation and trust and uh, gratitude in the role of women in the church. So as we look at this, again, this is God speaking to us. And as we once again look at the corporate meaning of believers, the role of men and women, we read in verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So Paul is instructing Timothy here in the local congregation. He begins to address men. This is how the church should work. The men, the males, men in the church should be given to prayer. I desire. It does not mean, oh, I hope you men do this. Or I think this, this is a good idea. I desire, I will. There is an expression of apostolic authority here as Paul is inspired to write this. The idea is men, as you gather, that men pray everywhere or wherever the Christians are meeting, lifting up holy hands. It was traditional that Jewish men would gather and they would pray with their arms lifted up and their hands open to heaven. Men need to adorn themselves with godliness, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, Paul's not emphasizing, first of all, the posture of our bodies when it comes to prayer, but the attitude of the heart. When you travel through the scriptures, you see those who prayed with outstretched hands. There are those who are kneeling, on their knees praying, like Daniel of the Old Testament, who was a man of prayer. There is mention of those who pray sitting. Mention of those who are on the ground, falling on the ground. Uh, those uh, who are lifting their eyes up to heaven. It's not the posture of the body that is of priority, but the posture of your heart. At this time of the year, many of us, we like to take walks. Or, you know, for me, in the morning, I like to sit out when the sun's coming up. Or in the evening when the sun is setting, or at night looking at the sky. And to be able to just look up and pray to the Lord and just fellowship with Him. And have my devotions, you know, out there. I, I love this time of year. I love being able to do that. You know how it is. So the lifting up of holy hands, this is not the typical word for holy that is used in the New Testament. This form is only used three times in the New Testament. The idea is that men shouldn't come to church lifting up holy hands after doing something defiling. Uh, 
In other words, all week long, you're acting like and you're living after the world. And then you come into the church and, and you think, I'm okay. Everything's cool. You know, uh, I, I'm good because I've come to church lifting up holy hands. Oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, give me, give me. Now, remember that Paul has already told Timothy that we should have a pure heart good conscience, and sincere faith being worked out in our lives. Now, I do want to tell you what this does not mean. That as we travel through the week, that you can't come here with a heart that is humbled before the Lord. That you can't come in as, as you've been convicted by the Lord and, and coming with the desire to just come to Him and call out to Him, to come with a repentive heart. In honesty, Lord, I have sinned this week. And I've really messed up. Lord, forgive me. I need to be in a place with the brethren. I need to be in a place where you're being worshipped and your word is going forth and I can receive prayer and I, I can be with other brothers, you know, in the Lord that will encourage me and, and talk with me. And I think that a tactic of the enemy is to get you to think, any of us, that if you weren't good enough this week, then don't come to church. You just stay home and you isolate yourself. So what Paul is saying, listen, in having a proper attitude, having a proper heart, yes, we are to come here, lifting up holy hands. We are to come here when, when we failed and we struggled and we can come to a place where we can cry out to the Lord and seek Him and desiring to draw close to Him. The idea of lifting up holy hands is, is reaching for your Father, and, and it's interesting, when I leave here after uh, service, I'm out there in the foyer area, that there would be those that will go and pick up their toddlers, particularly, and, and the young ones. And the toddlers, they come out, and the first thing they do is lift their hands up to dad or to mom. Kind of like, lift me up and pick me up, and dad picks them up, and mom picks them up. Well, the idea is here is that you're reaching out to your heavenly father, that you're saying, Lord, I need you. There is a dependency on the Lord as we lift our hands to him. The church, listen, needs those kinds of men. And your family does. That your family needs you to be that kind of man. The guys that you're lifting up holy hands. That you're doing without wrath or, or praying with anger. Lord, I pray that you get that person that crossed me this week. What has your week been? Have you been sitting at the dinner table and you're slamming the boss and everybody at work and the neighbor and this person that's bugged you and your kids are sitting there listening to that? Or are you speaking of the things of the Lord and are you going to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me with this? Because I know that that can be a challenge. You got difficult bosses and people that get under your skin. But how is it that our hearts are? How are we dealing with those situations? Paul writes in Ephesians, be angry, do not sin. Don't let the wrath go down or the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place for the devil. Jesus said that if you bring your gift to the altar and, and your brother is angry at you, go and reconcile and then come back. And the two biggest struggle that I believe that men have is one is lust and the other is anger. Lord, help me to get rid of this anger. Lord, help me to get rid of this bitterness. Lord, help me to get rid of this struggle, this struggling that I have. Help me with it. Without wrath or doubting or praying without faith is what we think of. But the word takes on the meaning of disputing. 
It goes with wrath. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we are to live peaceably with all men if possible. And in verse 9, in like manner, also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, I want us to have a good biblical perspective on this because the church can be all over the place, all, all you know, wide spectrum and how women should adorn themselves and what does it mean and what's the definition of moderation and, and what is appropriate and what is fitting. You see, in Ephesus at this time 2,000 years ago, Zadophone, one of the ancient writers from Ephesus, he wrote that when they would have a feast for Artemis, Artemis, the Ephesian deity, the daughter of Zeus, the twin sister of Apollo in Greek mythology. And she was considered the patron deity to young girls and women. And when they would celebrate her, the young women of the city, they would march down the street and they would dress very seductively. And the families would bring the young men to try to find wives. And Paul knew that Timothy was going to be dealing with all of this. And so he's writing to him. He says, this is an important consideration to the Gentile believers that are coming out of those pagan practices and, and for the women coming out of those pagan practices. This is the church. We're different than the world. So ladies, adorn yourselves in modest apparel. So Paul, what he, he's not saying is that you can't look nice, ladies, or you can't wear makeup, or he's giving you a strict, you know, dress code that you have to wear burlap sacks, you know, and, and you can't ever wear jewelry. Some have interpreted it to mean that. He doesn't say that you cannot adorn yourselves, but he's talking about do it modestly. And I think the key here as we consider this is that the inner godliness, verse 10, should be and is of more of a priority than the external. Listen, I raised two daughters. And I know that this can be a challenge. And I talked to my daughters as they were raised and getting older and becoming teenagers and about these very things. And it can be hard for women, what is being said here. It can be particularly hard for young women because of the pressure that is out there bombarding all of us, young women particularly, how to look how to attract. There is this constant play on you uh, on, on, that comes from Hollywood, the social media, the different apps that our young people are on. It is a constant barrage of worldliness coming at our young people, at all of us. And I want to make a secondary application because it's not only for the women, but it's for the guys now, too. So much pressure is put on them and how they are to look and be buff, you know, and what to wear and, and all these other things. Now, I've heard those that will teach, well, this is a cultural thing. Not a big deal. This was 2,000 years ago. And you might think, especially those of you who are younger, that, man, this is Stone Age. And Paul is just being a big fuddy-duddy. And he's being legalistic. What is being told to us is something very important. 
that the outward apparel should never eclipse or trump the inward godly beauty that God desires for you, ladies, and for all of us to display and to know that it is pleasing to the Lord. Ladies, and I think you know that men struggle with the lust of the eyes. And ladies, and particularly you who are single, do you really want a man, do you really want a guy that he is not attracted to godliness, but only to your outward and that's it? I don't care if she's a godly woman, a godly gal. She just looks really hot. Is that what you want? You don't want him around if he's only about carnality. Now, there is a proper balance here. Nothing wrong with being attracted to the opposite sex. When you make godliness and inner beauty a priority, that is a true beauty. Contrast that with the artificial glamour of the world. Paul is not forbidding the use of jewelry or nice dress. And remember this, that God's creation includes many things that are full of beauty. There's an intrinsic beauty when we look at the sunrise. I remember last week coming into church, it was one of the most beautiful sunrises, and I've seen many of them that I've ever seen before. Just a beauty in that, intrinsic beauty. This time of year, the aspens are changing, and the change of season. As we look at the flowers, as we look at things around us, it reflects something of our Creator. And when He made womanhood, there is a beauty there. There's an intrinsic beauty in women. But ladies, don't fall into the trap and into the pressures of the world that beauty is only external. No, none of us should do that. There is an internal beauty of godliness that is more important. So he's saying, listen, remember that. Be modest. Simply means decent and orderly, good taste. It means the avoidance of extremes. Inner beauty comes from God. Adorn yourselves in modest apparel with propriety, which means it is appropriate. Uh, and I'm not drawing inappropriate attention to myself. Your most important adornment is godliness and good works. And just in case you're thinking that this is Paul, you know, and he's, you know, got an attitude about women and stuff, and this is his opinion, we see that Peter writes something very, very similar in 1 Peter in chapter 3. He's actually writing to wives, and, and he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And he writes this in verse 3 of 1 Peter 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So Peter writes something very similar. So be modest. Remember, the inner beauty is more important. And then, ladies, verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, this is where I told Pastor Jim to hit the fire alarm, all right? So, <laughs> but we are going to look at this because we know it's important. Today, we are seeing, and you know it to be true, 
that more and more churches are ordaining women pastors and elders, and they say that culture allows us to do that. There are churches, even churches, that are having votes. You know, we're going to let the congregation vote on whether we're going to allow women pastors, you know, teaching behind the pulpit or women elders, and we're going to let the congregation decide. And I don't understand it. They didn't ask me, but I don't understand why the leadership won't go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say and then submit it to prayer. Churches are saying today we're going to liberate women. They talk about equality. They will even try to, to back up that women can be, you know, lead pastors and, and teaching behind the pulpit um, with Scripture. In Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ. See, see there's neither male or female. So Scripture says that they can be women, you know, elders, overseers, whatever. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 is talking about the church and being heirs to the promise. We all have equal status in the church. Back here to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's talking about the roles of men and women in the church, and we have different roles. This is divine instruction concerning the role of men and women in the church. He is not saying that women have no role in the church. He is not saying that women are inferior to men. And men are more important and God loves a man more than a woman. Not by the least bit. And I don't think any of you guys believe that at all. That's not what Paul is declaring, what the Word of God is declaring. But this is what God has said as far as behavior in the church, the roles in the church of men and women. And as we look at this, we are looking at the roles of men and women in the corporate gathering of believers. So let's take a deep breath, look at this carefully again, get some clarity and understanding. And as we read that, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So some read this and they think that it is forbidden for women to speak in church. Ladies, this is not saying shut up and be quiet. Paul uses the same translated word, you know, or word translated silence in verse 2 of the chapter. And there it's translated peaceable. Now in other places in scripture, women do have a place of teaching. And one of the other Pastoral epistles in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, the older women are instructed to admonish the younger women. That has the idea of teaching them. Timothy, that he was taught by his mother and his grandmother, the scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. We know that when Paul was talking about headship to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that women are mentioned as praying and speaking in the church. So what we are being told here is that in the corporate meeting that women are to learn in submission is the better word in, instead of contention. Learn in silence. Submission has the idea of women receiving the teaching of the men. God has chosen and desire and has put a headship for the men to lead, the pastor-teacher. And Paul's going to flow right into chapter 3 
when we get to it next week, remember when he wrote this letter, there's no chapter divisions. There's no verse numbers. He's just writing a letter. This is an epistle. And he goes right into chapter 3. If a man desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. The husband of one wife. So Paul is affirming that the men are to be overseers, able to teach. Women are not to have the teaching authority in the church, but there is authority and headship in the church, and that is what men are to be. They are to lead in that way. That is their role as overseers. Again, it does not mean that women have no teaching role in the church. Ladies, if you're signed up for a lady study, it's going to be women that are going to be teaching that study. In a couple weeks at the ladies conference, we have over 100 ladies that are signed up for that conference. It's going to be women that are going to be teaching that conference that are going to be very much anointed by God to teach and to bless you in that way. We have women that teach the children and youth, and, and we have women that are counseling other women here. And I am very grateful for their ministry and teaching and their handling of the Word of God, their insights to the Word of God. I think about in Scripture how Aquila and Priscilla, that couple together, were instructing Apollos as he was a brilliant man. So it's not saying that there's no teaching role in the church for women. I remember one guy a few years ago, he was coming, and then he would grab me after the service, and he said, I want to talk to you, and I'm a prophet of God, and God has sent me to you. And he was furious at me because we had women teaching women's study. We had women teaching the kids in the children's ministry. And he would quote from this, and he said, women are to learn in submission. They're, they're to be, you know, learn in silence. They're not permitted to speak at all. And I would try to explain this to him, and he had nothing to do with it. And he, he just, no, they shouldn't be in those positions at all. It should only be the men and all of this. And it's like, oh, go be a prophet at some other church. Just go away. So this is the word of God. And we want to practice this in the church. And I don't care what culture says. And I'm not going to let culture influence how we are to conduct the church. There's too much of that going on. I care what the Word of God says. And there is an authority structure that God has set up in the home. Husbands, you're to be the head of the wife. You're to wash her with the water of the Word. Fathers, Ephesians 6, you bring your children up in the training admonition of the Lord. It does not mean that, Mom, that you don't have a part in that. Of course you do. It means that men, you lead in the home. And you lead in your home is the responsibility and role that has been given to you. And the men are to lead in the church, particularly when it comes here to teaching in the church, when it comes to matters of doctrine and, and scriptural interpretation. It does not mean... And it does not say that, women, you can't be teachers. That you can't be teachers in schools or in Christian school. You can't be professors. That you can't be CEOs. You know, you can't be in politics. You can't be a missionary. It's not saying that. 
that you can't have any authority, as I've heard some say, that, you know, they shouldn't be police officers. Listen, if a woman police officer pulls you over, you better have respect and to know that she has authority. This is, men, we are called to lead in the home and called to be overseers in the church, leading the church. It's an awesome responsibility given to us. And 99% of men are not in a position of overseer or pastor in the church. But you are called to be the pastor and priest in your home. So I want to say this, and I say this very humbly, but it is a concern that I see today. That I'm seeing more and more where men are being passive and don't want to lead spiritually in the home. And they're passing that responsibility on to their wives. They're passing that responsibility on to the youth pastor or <clears throat> to children's ministry. Listen, we want to come alongside and be a blessing. We want to help you. We want to minister in that way. Of course, we want to partner with you. We want to be here to support you and pray for you. But men, listen, those of you that are here, don't be passive in leading in your home spiritually, in washing your wife with the water of the word, in raising your children in the ways of the Lord. You will be held accountable by God for that. I will be held accountable by God. But we are seeing more men say, you know what, I don't want to deal with that. So, Mom, you deal with the spiritual stuff. You pray with the kids. You take them to church. I got things to do. And I know that there are wives that are here, that their husbands are not believers. And you do have the responsibility of being a spiritual leader. But you guys that are here that are believers, do not be passive in that responsibility and role that has been given to you. It's a divine commission ordained by God. And I believe what we are going to be seeing is that the men are going to be more and more being passive when it comes to leadership in the church. And we'll let the women do that. And we'll let the ladies do that. Not that they don't have the capability to do it. They're very capable. But they're not called to do that. Now, there are those who will say, Paul is just plain wrong. And I want to say this, that those who just like to pick and choose what you want to believe as you study the scriptures, that is not a good place to be. And that's what we're seeing take place in the church more. You know how it is when it comes to biblical marriage, when it comes to biblical morality, and now when it comes to the role of men and women in the church, it's being dismissed. Paul is, is inspired to write this, and he does not appeal to culture, but what he does is he goes back to creation, to the beginning, verse 13. For Adam was formed first in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So the first reason for male authority in the church is the order of creation. Adam, man, was created first, then the woman. Now, priority doesn't mean superiority. Both men and women were created by God and in God's image. The issue is authority. With man created first, then secondly, there is to be a respecting of this structure of authority, verse 14, having to do with man's fall into sin. You see, Satan deceived the woman into sin. Adam, he sinned with his eyes wide open. And as Paul writes here in verse 14 that the woman being deceived fell into transgression, I don't think that Paul is saying that women are more, you know, gullible than men. 
That's not what is being told to us. I have benefited greatly from the wisdom and insight of my wife and from godly women in this fellowship. And I know that when my wife has been in her devotions and she's been seeking the Lord and she begins to share with me what the Lord has put on her heart, my spiritual antenna goes up. And I have been blessed greatly by women in this ministry with their insights and their wisdom that has been given to me. So he's not saying that women are just more gullible, but Adam was to be the leader when he made man and woman there in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, it's interesting that Adam there, when the serpent came to Eve, you know the story. Hey, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that, that, that tree? And the indication to me is, as you read chapter 3, is that Adam was there watching this take place, and he did not step into the situation to where he was to bring a covering and headship over Eve. Eve is there conversing with the serpent. And the serpent saying, you will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then in chapter 3, verse 6, let me read it to you. Listen. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. Did you get that? He was with her. And he ate. He was there. He wasn't leading. And you know what is interesting? It's that, yes, she transgressed. He sinned. And the scripture holds Adam accountable for the fall of man. Nowhere do you read in scripture that says that sin and death came into the world because of Eve. She was gullible. No, it always reads because of Adam, because of the authority. And where there is authority and where there is responsibility, there's going to be accountability. That sin and death came in the world because of Adam. And then in verse 15, interesting verse, Nevertheless, you shall be saved and childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness, with self-control. So what does this verse mean? Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really sure. It's one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. I don't believe it's saying that women, if you're godly and, and, and you're applying these things that we've talked about today in your life, that you'll never die in childbearing. We know that over 2,000 years that very godly women have died in childbearing. It is not saying that you just stay home and have babies. But could it be could it be, here's a suggestion, that Paul is saying, yes, Eve was deceived, fell into transgression, but the woman did something great. And as you continue in, in Genesis chapter 3, you know that, that God says, Adam, where are you? And, and then he says to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord in verse 14 of chapter 3 said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So the very first promise of the coming of Messiah, going to be born of a woman, and serpent, devil, this Messiah, the hope for mankind, that you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And as you go to the book of Galatians, you know that Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Papa. So I don't know if this is right, but I like this. That the woman did something amazing for which all of us and guys we are eternally grateful for. That she brought forth the Messiah in childbearing. That we have salvation that comes, the Messiah that was born of a woman. And if it wasn't for that, guys, we all be up a creek without a paddle. We up a creek eternally without a paddle. So we are grateful. Listen, I want to say this as we close. The ladies, you have a very important role in the church here. And I appreciate what you do in the ministry that you bring more than you know. We could not do what we do here at Calvary Chapel if it wasn't for women who are teaching the children, who are teaching other women insights into the Word of God. It amazes me that we, we have ladies here that, that amaze me their knowledge of the Word of God. And we appreciate your service here. You are respected, and you're very much, you know, appreciated. And, and we want to let you know that. And you are valued here in the body of Christ. But I also want to say this, that we take very serious. And next week when we go over the position of an overseer, an elder, uh, a pastor, a shepherd, all those terms that we see in the New Testament, this is very convicting for me. And that the men that are the leaders here, the overseers, that we take that very, you know, serious responsibility that has been given to us in humility and rightly dividing the word of truth. And as we look to the word of God, just all of us, we're all submitted to the Lord in humility and the roles that have been given to us. I believe that God is going to continue to bless in a wonderful way here. Let's not let culture dictate what we do. Let's let the word of God and receive it because there's blessing and benefit in that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these verses that sometimes can be a little sticky and, and um, a little tough. But I believe that as we walk through this, that, Lord, we're blessed and benefited. And, Lord, the roles that we have. And I thank you so much for the ministry that women have here ministering to others and to the children and to the youth and in the mission field, um, counseling women. Their insights to the Word of God is so incredible. And Lord, I thank you for their service. I thank you for what they do in being part of the body of Christ. And I also am thankful, that, Lord, that we can understand that for us men, that we have a role too in the home and in the church. And I pray for the men here. Lord, help us to be leaders in our home, to be men of prayer, on our knees praying for our children, for our grandchildren, desiring to grow in the Word of God, desiring to be men of God, that we would model ourselves not after what the world defines as a man, but we would model ourselves after 
the true man's man, Jesus Christ. We would not be passive. And Lord, we need you. We need your help to lead our families, to minister to our wives, to our children, to our grandchildren. Lord, help us and guide us because your commandments are your enablements. And Lord, I just pray that that the overseers here, that we would always be humbled before you and the awesome responsibility that's been given to us. So Father, I thank you for this morning. The instructions given to us for our benefit is profitable to equip us for every good work. And I also want to pray if there's anyone here listening to this teaching that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. That he came to this world to die for you, for your sins, because our sins have separated us from God and has brought death because of what Adam did in the garden. But Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came to die for you because of his love for you. And he went to a wooden cross and he hung between heaven and earth to die for your sins, to make atonement. He's the only one that did that. And he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death and he proved that he's the son of God. And he says, come and believe to receive forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with the Father. So we want to give you that invitation that he is your salvation. There is none other. And you can pray if this means anything to anyone right now at this moment. That Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I believe you're the son of God who's alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. To sit upon the throne of my life. And I thank you for dying for me and loving me. And I do want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. Bringing me into the family of God. And if you prayed that prayer, as we have a ministry team here, we're going to end in just a minute, come up and receive prayer. But for any of us, we're here to pray for you and you have prayer needs. Maybe you just, you have needs, you have hurt, you have struggles, we're here to pray with you and minister to you. Angie's here to to pray with the ladies. So Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ. And I thank you for this morning. I pray you bless everyone here this morning as we go our way now and into our week. Guide us and direct us in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.